Hello, welcome to TBC Equipped. We are a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Norman, designed as a resource to equip the church to engage the culture and evangelize the world. My name is Curtis Winkle. I'm here with Ryan Polk. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how are you? Very good. And we've got a guest today, this afternoon, we're talking to our pastor, our senior pastor, Ronnie Rogers. Hey, Ronnie. Good afternoon. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. We were talking about it's kind of gray outside. It's a little um, late in the afternoon. So we're going we're gonna to try to... Um, we're going to try to ask you some lively questions to keep okay. you Sounds good. keep you awake. I'll give lively answers to <laughs> I know you will. I trust that you will. All right. So um, we wanted to have you on today to talk about sermons. So um, uh, as a church, we believe uh, in the sermon. We believe in gathering as a church and listening to God's word proclaimed. And we do that every week, uh, sometimes multiple times a week. And so uh, we just thought we'd take some time and just kind of ask some basic questions about what is a sermon and, and how does it how's it get made? What's the point of it? And some of those kind of things. So um, just kind of pick your brain about it since you've been doing it for a little while now. So um, so why don't we start there? Just just broadly, what what is a sermon? Okay. I would I would just succinctly say that a sermon is uh, taking a portion of scripture and expounding it to explain what it meant to the original audience and then to apply it to the people to whom you're speaking at the time. And the difference in that and a teaching would be that there's more passion. There is a, a beginning and an end. There's a middle. And so you've given a lot of thought to that. And it's more of an urgency in the sermon and the preaching of a sermon than, say, teaching a class. Or in a class, I can kind of, like what you were talking about, I could start, and then wherever I get to, I'll pick up there next week. But a sermon has a beginning and an end, and so you're you're uh, trying to uh, express it, and it, uh, you're emotionally involved and intellectually and spiritually involved. Yeah. Okay. All right, so so it's um, it's not something that we, the church just kind of came up with, right? It's a uh, it's spoken of in scripture. What's what's kind of the biblical basis for for sermons? Well, of course, I mean Christ gave you know the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. and has uh, a beginning and an end, and then he moves on somewhere else, and then he taught sometimes. Let's say it was in parables or. Uh, some kind of narrative and he has a beginning and an end and he has a point, at least one point. Mm -hmm. So all parables have that and so forth. So those are, you know, uh, various forms of sermons. And then you have like Peter in Acts, who he begins to expound from the Old Testament to the New Testament mm -hmm. about Christ. And then it's interesting when you go to First Timothy, Second Timothy and Titus. And if you highlight the word preach and teach, it, it is repeated over and over and over through that passage. And so it appears to be the number one responsibility of what we call senior pastor or the teaching pastor, some call it. But it's the number one responsibility of the, the teaching and the preaching of the scripture. All right. Yes. Yeah, so I think uh, when we think about what most people probably they get to see the event mm -hmm. so that they're here on Sunday mornings, they get to see you know, you get up and you pray and then you start and do exactly what you just outlined. Walk us through a little bit, maybe what Monday through Saturday looks like in preparation for you. Like, how do you get to that Sunday event? Okay. Uh, well, 
my life since I got saved was I, I would say I've studied an average of five hours a day for seven days a week for the whole 40 years or 40 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always reading. I try to read uh, broadly and always looking at the passages of scripture. Just it's just my life. And then the, the, the week, just up when you get to the week, I study every morning for, you know, somewhere between uh, five and seven or eight hours a day. At, and then on Friday, I stay home. I don't come in, but I still study for a few hours in the morning and then I go exercise. And then Saturday morning, I get up and study again. So I do this basically on vacation, everything uh, before my family or anybody would get up. My uh, putting together a sermon, I actually do that, uh, like right now I'm working on one uh, that I'm going to speak probably beginning December 1st, so I'm putting all that together. However, that's because it's come upon me that I need to address this subject. If I'm preaching through a book or studying through a book, I may be six months ahead. Hmm. Because the application, you can get that Sunday morning, you can you can pray and, and think about ways to apply it and so forth. But the interpretation, the, the exegetical work, the detailed work of Scripture, the hard work, that can be done six months, a year, if you do it right. And so people think you have to get some kind of inspiration on Saturday or that week. Uh, it's not that I don't do that sometimes. It's just the Holy Spirit can inspire you a long time before. So the reading broadly... I'm always in the text uh, every day, and one of the first things I open up every day is my logos. And so, uh, so anyway, all of that's the background. And then I'm working on a passage, and I I don't know if you want that part of it. Uh, if you do, I guess I'll yeah. Why, why, why okay. don't we uh, okay. kind of circle back? So you mentioned I think this will get where you want to go. Is is you mentioned a couple words, and one was was exegesis. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk about what define that and then yeah. maybe exposition as well? Yeah. Well, well, exposition is taking a passage and expounding what's there. And then so you observe what it says and then you interpret it. And that's where you figure out, try to figure out what it means. And then you apply it. But application comes after the observation and interpretation. And the worst first question anybody can ask is, what does it mean to me? Because we shouldn't be asking that first. That has a place. So you have to do the observation, interpretation, and application to have con to have done exposition because you're expounding. Yeah. And, and exegesis or uh, exegetical work that's where you're actually looking at what does it say in a detailed way. So it's syntax, it's the order of the words, it's all the grammar. And so you're just trying to make sure you understand what it says. Then from that, you're going to move to what it means. So in that process of exegesis or uh, observation, I would only work with the text. I'm not looking at other verses. I'm not looking at commentaries, I'm trying to figure out what does it say and what does it not say. And then from that, then you start bringing in whatever resources you can to figure out what that means. But And that's the foundation for everything. That's what, the foundation for everything, yeah, is to get what it says, just like if I wrote you a letter. I mean, before you can start 
hammering on what it means. Like if you read a paragraph and then you just went off, you really don't know what it means because you hadn't read the whole thing. And that's what we call context. And I remember a professor said when I was in school many years ago, he said, context is everything. And it just sounded like such a, an overstatement. Mm-hmm. Well, it was in one sense, but it is actually, if you don't have the right context, everything goes south. Yeah. So then from that, I, I'm looking at a paragraph and I start kind of structuring it based on questions or things that are there. And then you start filling that in. And then the observation, I, I might ask myself 50 questions. What does this mean? Who is this? Why does this say and? What, what is this? Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? So you're not assuming. Mm-hmm. So you may know who the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is, but it'll, it'll cause you to go dig deeper. And so I look a lot at the text and then I use uh, Greek resources an enormous amount. Yeah, you mentioned Logos Bible software. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible, incredible software. Uh, changed Bible study dramatically, and I, you know, I did it for many years with just books, mm-hmm. and I still use books. Mm-hmm. But the resource that you have there with the Greek works, where I used to spend two or three days tracing a word through uh, Kittle and other. Greek works and coming up with with a true understanding of what it meant. I mean, literally, I can find those resources in seconds. Mm. Now, it takes me a while to read through them. Yeah. But uh, the finding of the words yeah. and all of that is just, just like that. Yeah. So how, how, if you were just to estimate from the time you really begin to the time you're ready to preach, how much time has been invested in study? Like pers- just a your normal One week message. in a week out, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, again, all week, I study all week, and, and then sometimes, you know, I'm asked, so, so how much do you study? Well, I just study all the time. So if I have in the afternoon, so I'm sitting there and I don't have anything to do, I don't have appointments, I don't have meetings while I'm studying. So I, I just do it all the don't time. don't have a podcast to do. I don't have a podcast to <laughs> do. I have books at home, and so when I go home, and if there's nothing to do, I pick up a book. Mm-hmm. But as far as, you know, so if you said, okay, I'm going to start on this passage, you know, and I'm going to do this sermon, then I would say 15 to 20 hours are spent in that. And that's not counting. Hopefully you've built this uh, basis of knowledge and you've read other things. So 15 to 20 hours. You talked about um, Jesus and and Paul always, always having a a purpose and a point to what they're saying. So can you elaborate? Is that kind of how you approach is each sermon you're, you're wanting to do something specific or, or highlight something or do something in the hearers? Uh, my, uh, of course, an exposition, you know, now, like, again, this message that I'm going to be speaking on in a few weeks, I have to address a topic. Okay. So there you do have a point. Okay. Uh, but, but in whether it's topical or thematic or expositional, the, the main point is, so it's more clearly seen in exposition, when I go to a passage, or let's say we're going through Matthew, and now I've come to chapter 9, verse 1 through 5. Uh-huh. My goal, I don't have any goals. I don't have anything I want to say. I want to figure out what's there. And so I, that's all the work you're doing is trying to figure out what the Scripture says. Then that becomes your message. Mm. So out of that will come some points. But my main thing is 
I want to, when I get through, somebody could look at that passage and understand what God intended for it to mean to the people to whom it was sent. We call that authorial intent. And then what is some application for them today? Mm-hmm. But that's that's the point of what I'm doing. So I don't have a, you know, well, I want to talk about divorce or I want to talk about this and this mentions the word divorce. It may mention the word divorce, but it, it may be as a secondary or tertiary. Sure. The main thrust of it is something else. So you can do some application. So my my heart and, and yeah. one of my prayers every time uh, is, you know, Lord, don't let it just be ink on a paper. And I want people to understand your word and for your Holy Spirit to work in their lives so they not only understand it, but they respond to it. Just uh, kind of along this line of preparation and all this stuff, what? let's flip it around, though, to the people who are listening. So you've put in, you know, you talked just about study being the, the kind of the habit of your life. Each message is going to have a minimum of 15 to 20 hours of preparation. But when we walk in that room, there's some things that, I mean, it's not a it's not a singular person event. What are some things that you would encourage the people who are going to be sitting under your teaching and preaching week in and week out? What can they do or what would you like them to do that would prepare them to engage with the sermon? Or, or maybe even a better way to ask us, like, what does it look like to engage with the sermon Listen. rather than simply hear a hear a lecture kind yeah. of deal? Yeah. The first thing I would say is, you know, there are a couple of Greek words, uh, proskuneo, to worship, and then latruo. And so if I could make a distinction there, uh, you you could see proskuneo more as the corporate worship. So when we've gathered and we're worshiping and so forth. But latruo was really how you could honor God uh, in your work, in your family, and recreating and everything. And so it is worshiping during the course of the week, which means acknowledging God, being aware of his presence, praising, praying, and so forth. So the first thing is that if you show up for corporate worship and there's been nothing between you and God during the course of the week, uh, it's going to probably be a rather dry time that you're waiting on it to get over, generally speaking. Now, God can do some things, no no doubt about that. But that, that's a problem of thinking that we come to this, but we've not done anything in the, in the week. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Yeah. Then the second thing is that depending on their personality, some people do not need to take notes. They do better listening and to take notes is a distraction to them. Right. So I don't try to force them to feel like that. Mm-hmm. But if they are a note taker or if it's helpful, the best thing to do is get some kind of notebook. And if it's loose leaf and you can add and take away, or if it's just you're going to do use different volumes of spiral or something and just uh, write on it, you know, Matthew, and then just keep it. And when you get through, put it on a shelf because... Sometimes your notes can be the quickest resource of going back to something and looking it up later. But but what what writing notes does, it, unless you're the person that that bothers, is you hear it, you write it, you see it, and you can review it. Mm-hmm. And so four times versus just hearing it one time. And so I'm a note taker. My wife takes notes and a lot of people. But I think instead of writing it on the back of the 
you know, Trinity Life or a mm-hmm. bulletin or something because we end up throwing them away. You actually say, I'm going to prepare to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's studies coming out now, and I know some college professors that, that won't allow laptops in there. And we don't have, um, not many people do that in church service. But the reason that they're saying no laptops is because of that. It's There's a very visceral thing that goes on. And it helps your memory whenever you actually have to process it that way. Look at it, write it. Yeah, that's precisely right. A great example of that, and I'm not recommending we go back to the old typewriter. But when technology was advancing, and so the people that used the old typewriters, these were not electric. These were manual, the Uh old Underwoods. And so when new technology came to go to the electric typewriter, the same thing happened from the electric typewriter to the computer. Authors, famous authors, who wrote off the Underwood never changed because there was a rhythm to it and you went slower, so you had time to think. But it's an entirely different thinking process to type on an Underwood where if you mess up, you got to go back and white it out. So their, their thinkings are, are oh, yeah. processed very different than on a computer where you're just going back and getting rid of it, and cutting and pasting. Yeah. So they were actually seeing all this in their head like a chapter because yeah. they couldn't get at the end and then go shift it without a huge amount of work. And it's just interesting, the thought processes. So I recognize, recognize that as well in the taking of the notes. Then one thing I do that is... I don't put many verses on the screen because part of my teaching is to get people used to looking through the scripture. Yeah. So that's part of the reason I, I do that. And I know, you know, today use technology, but you have people coming and they're never getting used to this formidable book yeah. in their hands and they need to be able to go home and look and so forth. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. We're kind of on a, on a tangent here, but I'm, I'm really interested in the, the intersection of technology. Cause you know, we were talking earlier about how much time the log software mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. saving you. And so there are definitely some advantages to it. And, and then, and then there are ways in which like, I, I don't let my youth team or youth uh, students look up scriptures on their phones because I want that Bible in their lap. Right. And I don't know, if, I don't know if that's right or not. You know, I have questions about, what what exactly it looks like in 20, 40 years, but it may just be the, the age I am and, and growing up without it. But uh, but there seems to be something about helping them see that they can read that book. It's not mm-hmm. as intimidating as it as it is when you first right. view it. And uh, and there seems to be something something to the paperback hardback. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there is great value, and some would say it's just because I'm stuck in a time warp, but I don't think that at all. I think it is the thinking process, but also we do want them to get familiar with the Bible. So even on a computer or on your phone, you're you're not looking at the Bible as a book. You're seeing this part, and then you click this and you zoom over here, mm-hmm. see? But when you have the book in your hand, you're seeing it for all it is, and it's nice that you learn to find things in it. Mm-hmm. You can always go to the phone or the computer, but if you only use that to go to that, it's a difficult transition. Yeah, and I think there's something to it also, like when things have dual function. So mm-hmm. like, I mean, to read a book is an event. You have to get the book. You have to open it. You have to spend some time with it. But yeah. like on the phone, I mean, that's where you do Twitter and Instagram and oh, Facebook and your Bible is just another one of those things. I think separating it from those types of things and making it its own thing 
yeah. is a helpful exercise, you know, just to prioritize and its prominence a little bit. Yeah. Well, and also along with that is so like in church or let's say your devotional, wherever you are, if you're if you're looking at your phone to read what's on there, you have all of these other yeah. interruptions and distractions and you flip over here and you flip over yeah. here. And with the Bible, just the Bible, you can actually put that away. Yeah. Yeah, so that's right. Even a study Bible sometimes can be distracting because you immediately yeah. go to the comments. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Neil Postman, I don't know if you guys have oh, encountered yeah. him very much, but yeah. he had a lot to say about that and some of his amusing ourselves to death and some of those yeah. things. Great he talked book. about even watching TV preaching in a similar vein. He right. was writing before uh, the proliferation of cell phones, but watching something you're in a living room or whatever, what you're wearing, the thing you were watching before, the thing you could flip over to, all those have subconscious psychological yeah. effects on us that it, it's That's not right. the same as putting on your, your clothes and going to the church right. service and inhabiting that space with other believers, listening to the word taught, scribbling notes. Yeah, critiquing. that's exactly right. <laughs> So along those lines, Ronnie, are we going to move? Will Trinity become like an internet church where we just hop online and watch you? Um, maybe in 50 years. Uh, long gone. Here, here's the question. I don't think we're going to watch Ronnie yeah. in 50 years. Here's the question. We'll see if this makes the podcast. Here's a question I've had that I've thrown at people about technology. So, okay, so we've, like in uh, the NICU people, right? Mm -hmm. we've, we've given them uh, MP3 players with the Gospels. I can't remember if we've got the whole New Testament on there yet or I think not. so. Um, yeah. So they've got these MP3 players and the technology continues to advance. Mm -hmm. So my question is, and I always frame it different ways because I can't figure out exactly the right phrasing, but could the primary me medium of the Bible, meaning the way most people in the world experience it, move from the written word to oral, oral verbal, audio and or you know the jesus film movie type and and yeah could it would there would we would we have would we take issue with that would we say that's probably not a obviously the three of us are book people so, yeah, yeah. so there's an initial knee-jerk reaction right. but i wonder you're talking about just audio or visual yeah. audio or visual but not in a written in a in a format where mm -hmm. uh, it's words written on pages or, or yes. even even seeing it in your phone, it's not written. Right, not not you. So you don't have to be literate to right. Right. experience it, which is in some ways an advantage. Yeah, in some ways, I guess the way it was in the Old Testament for a lot of people, right? Hmm. The, it the seems to me procedural. I mean, in some ways, right? I mean, like it often goes that way first, but I, it always it seems like the written always follows that, you know, mm. pretty quickly. You know, the the translation efforts go very quickly to getting it in their own mm -hmm. language, even if the Jesus film preceded preceded that. And and I, I just think the nature of scripture kind of demands that. I mean, it'd be hard to visualize the Pauline epistles. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, where you could do a really pretty moving video of the gospels and Jesus's life, but yeah. And you know, what do you do it's with Colossians three visually, you know, or something like that? Well, also uh, the scripture, old Testament and new Testament is to be studied. And so when something is merely visual or 
are audible, there is a limit of your study of analyzing. And so when it's written, you can analyze it and move the words around, think through it and so forth. So I think there's something lost if you were doing that. But the other side of that is, as far as missions of getting the basic gospel out, of getting this and the Naisu in their language, we could do it much faster electronically than we can through the translators like the Wycliffe. So there's value in that. But you ought to be moving in a direction where they're going to have a written word that can be studied because it is about studying, comparing, understanding the paragraphs, understanding this word, just like uh, I looked at a passage yesterday and so first, uh, first Timothy two, well, the first seven verses, you have four times the word man, yeah. but it's the word anthropos. In verse seven, you have the word man, but it's the word on air. So he shifted to just male. And then the next verse, which would be nine is women. And that's the word for female, mm-hmm. not, not women, you know, and men. So the point is, you just don't get that by listening. Even if you're hearing it in the original, it's going to be hard to get that. And then that continues through the rest of the passage of how significant that is. Mm-hmm. You only do that by looking at it, studying, making notes, you know, okay, so that was this. this. Yeah. There's a book uh, I read a few years ago by a guy named Tony Rinke. Uh, it was called Lit, and I can't remember the subtitle. It had to do with like the importance of of reading, reading books and some of those things. And he noted some, some things like um, that there, there seems to be some importance to God actually writing on the tablets, uh, the, the 10 commandments. And so, and so since Moses, we've had at least, I don't know, I guess we'd call it the primary medium was, or the ultimate medium was a written record. Yeah, I mean, that would have been, if I'd have, we'd kept going that how it adventures, like even in oral traditions. So you think about the minor prophets, I've been studying those right now. Yeah. I mean, they went from being publicly delivered right. to collected and or written, them. you know, very quickly, mm. you know, and Paul writes letters. I mean, it, it seems like that, that yeah. that's not, that's not a... Uh, Guarded the scrolls. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not an accidental deal that like... That writing came so quickly, whether it started orally or not. Yeah. Huh. How, how do you decide what to preach on? You said maybe six months out, you're yeah. thinking about that. Well, he texts me on Saturday. Yeah. He texts you yeah. Yeah. yeah, normally Gina and Ryan <laughs> give me. They've that got plenty advice. of ideas. Yeah. Oh, they. Oh, trust <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, no, the way I do it is uh, the six months is where I might be working in it, but I'm dealing with it long before that, possibly years. Mm-hmm. And so, but when I go into something, to me, it's the most important place I can be. So like right now we're in Matthew. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere really else that I want to be in the scripture. I want to be there. I'm not anxious. I don't, I'm just happy there. But as we go along, I, I am sensitive to what God may be leading. And then I keep praying over that, which could be a year or two and hope hopefully and prayerfully by the time I get to the end, that's or close to the end, let's say within a year, I'm pretty clear on that. And that's when I'll shift over here and I'm doing that and this, but I'm always six months or more ahead, maybe more Mm -hmm. in the study of the scripture and so forth. But 
I, I'm always thinking about, that's what I'm saying as an expositor, I'm always thinking about these things and do it. And then as a pastor, does our church need this? You know, is there something I'm missing, God? So this thing that I'm going to digress from Matthew, I mentioned a little bit about it. And then subsequently, I, I feel very strongly impressed that I need to digress and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't feel that if I wasn't a shepherd. That's right. But I'm thinking about, that is this important enough to digress and deal with it for the flock? And my answer is yes. So that came on me quick. Yeah. But the other... So you, you pray, you think about it. I pray, I think about it. And I don't mean I'm dedicated in prayer every day, praying a long time yeah. about it. I'm just really sensitive to it and, you know, just saying, okay, what do we do next, God? You know, I just want the, the you to kind of show me that. Yeah. And what happens is I get a heightened, and I'm speaking generally, but I get a heightened uh, sense of importance of that particular book or theme. And I get a heightened sense of interest. So like right now, my interest is in Matthew. Mm-hmm. And I can't get arrested. Yeah. I can't make it happen. But as we go along, if the Lord does what he's always done, I'll start all of a sudden, this will, I'll become more interested, more, and I'll be looking over there, and I'll think, you know, this is really good. And then eventually I sense that's where I'm supposed to go. You got anything else, Ryan? No, man, good. Well, Pastor, thanks for your time. Thanks for all the investment that you put into week after week, day after day, Thank into the you. scripture to help us understand and see it more clearly and, and get to know God better and love Him more. Yeah. So um, we'll uh, we'll catch Thanks you next later. time on right. TBC Equipped.